Welcome to the podcast. In and through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim Elmore, and I'm the lead pastor of Memorial Baptist Church, Stratford, Ontario. And I'm Marshall Morton, the associate pastor at NBC in Stratford. How's it going, Tim? It goes. It goes. It goes. I woke up this morning at 4.30 and thought, oh, no, not again. But I fell back asleep. <laughs> oh, that's good. So it's all good. That's good. Yeah, so we are getting into just another... Another podcast, we we were talking about this actually just before we started recording about how we finished with the exile to Babylon like not that long ago. It feels like it was something we just dealt with. Right. And then we zoomed through the time in between and now all of a sudden the people are the people are back. Right. And there, there's still some exile literature. Like I, I think that's one thing we have to keep in mind is it's not necessarily so clean. No. That you would have, um, you you would have people in Israel, then you would have people kicked out of Israel, mm-hmm. and then everyone comes back. Yes. It's not like that. Not at all. No, people trickle back in, mm-hmm. and some people never left. Yeah, and so there's going to be some overlap. Yeah, here, um, if that's going to get a little confusing when you're like, wait, 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 where are they? Are they? They're this is exile literature, but they're back in Jerusalem. What's going on? Uh, just keep in mind that, that it, it doesn't really work so cleanly that you would be able to say, oh, this is what happened. Yeah. Um, it's There's a lot going on, mm-hmm. which is just the way our world works, right? That's the way the world works. The world doesn't open and close in these clean chapters. Um, but somehow we look at history and we expect that it would be something that would fit nicely into a box and with a bow and... <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah. So that it creates a little bit of confusion, but, uh, some good stuff this week. Yeah. Yeah. So we're working through the first half of the book of Ezra, which is kind mm-hmm. of the historical background that is going on during the ministry of Haggai and Zechariah, Zechariah, sorry, um, who are the two kind of key prophets in that time period. Right. So everything kind of does, at least in a historical sense, kind of fit together pretty, yep. pretty well that way. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you what do you think of her forest? Man, this is this is tough because I I think the pinnacle moment I, I know we don't start with highlights, mm. but the pinnacle moment for me this week in reading it all was when they are rebuilding the temple and everyone is shouting some people with joy, some people through their tears. Mm. And so there's sort of a yes, but no. Mm. If you, if I can, you know, practice some cultural assimilation, is that all? I'm going to get canceled for this. Yeah. If we had a listener, no. that listener would cancel us for this. <laughs> to say yeah, no. Yeah. No. Yeah, no. Mm. That's just kind of what, what it felt like. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's definitely a fresh start. Like with the with the question mark there. Like, is oh, it? Is yeah. it? You got to do the up at the end of it. Fresh start. Fresh start. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Because it's like, seems like maybe, but maybe right. not. And and all of our prophets, all of our prophets who have foretold the destruction and the exile mm-hmm. have been right. Yeah. Like to a letter, very specifically right. Mm-hmm. But what we're going to look at today doesn't feel like Isaiah or Ezekiel, 
or Jeremiah on the return of Israel. Mm-hmm. Not nearly with the same precision, if it is. Um, so that's where that that's where that question comes in. That's where that that little up at the end of your fresh start, mm-hmm. or my yeah no. <laughs> It, it almost feels like a false start yeah. in some ways. Hmm. Um, That's a good point. But in order to prove that, we got to look at the trees. That's true. So let's get into it. So we'll start with Ezra. Ezra kind of gives us the the, the background and the, the, the details of what's going on. Uh, begins with this proclamation of the new Persian emperor. Mm-hmm. Right? Babylon has fallen. We, we, read, we read about that kind of in Daniel, right? Babylon's fallen, Persia has stepped in, and Cyrus decides, hey, I am going to uh, allow the people of Israel to return home and to rebuild the temple. Right. This is a project that I care a lot about, and I want it to get done. And and he's going to fund it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's going to fund it. He's going to kind of put the pieces together so that this can happen. And so... Within the proclamation, he says, look, if you're a descendant of those who were removed, it's time to go home. And so... Ezra not Chapter, all of them do. Not all of them do. You know, you're right. But a lot of them do. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we get the whole second chapter, which is just this many sons of this many sons. And right. It, it was, I was listening to it on audio, and it's like, oof, okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so, so a few weeks back... Because in, in our sermon series, we're working through Matthew. Yep. And we've only been doing it for just a couple of weeks. And so a few weeks back, I preached on the genealogy of Matthew. And uh, and so there is the whole, you know, the son of, the son of, the son of. So then I made a deal about how these these genealogies matter. I would say particularly in Matthew and Luke, there's something very theological for the New Testament church inside of that, even more so than the Old Testament genealogies and I, I make that point that these are important now my son whenever he wants to do like because my kids are still young Caleb's five so my kids are still young enough to do the whole like I'm going to do something to make daddy proud right the sort right. of like whatever and so he wants to listen to the audio bible because he can't read mm. uh, although most people who can read can't read a genealogy. <laughs> uh, but he always wants to listen to the genealogies because he remembers sitting in on that sermon. And so he's like, can I listen to the son of, the son of? <laughs> I'm like, okay, sure. <laughs> but on a genealogy, yeah. knock yourself out. Yeah. Uh, if he ever gets into a game of like Bible Jeopardy and like who was the father of? Right, right, right. boom. Bingo. He'll have it down. Peltiel yeah. was the father of? Someone, I can't, I'm not even going to go there. What's your life verse? <laughs> <laughs> Matthew 1, 7? I don't know. Uh, yeah, so anyway, so we get all these these lists of people who are coming back. And uh, the first thing they do is they rebuild the altar. Yes. They're like, we got to get this altar built. We got to start offering sacrifices. That needs to happen. Um, and, and the sacrifices precede the temple. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how that works. Yeah. Like, did they just build an altar in the midst of, like, ruins? Yeah. So the the Story of Redemption Bible Mm -hmm. suggests that that was not a good idea. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, that that might be the case, because even though they rebuilt this altar and resumed sacrifices, things were not going particularly well. No. 
And uh, but there, there's two there's kind of two key characters that are important that kind of uh, take the reins, so to speak, with this whole return and rebuild project. Zerubbabel. Awesome. Uh, who is a descendant of David. Mm hmm. And Joshua. Who is a priest. The Joshua. Not the Joshua. No. Just uh, Joshua. And not the next Joshua either. That's a whole other thing. Um, although there might be some connections, who knows? Uh, but they they lay the foundation for the temple. Mm-hmm. So they start the construction. And they celebrate that with like huge sacrifice, musical worship. They're having this this massive you know um, celebration for what's going on. Uh, but but not everybody's celebrating. No, the older folks, those people who remember the old temple, mm-hmm. are looking at this new temple mm-hmm. and going. Mm. It's not the same. No. Not even close. Yeah. And and in the meantime, while the Jews have been in exile, there's other people who've kind of moved into the area. Right. And they're not they're not too pleased about this whole rebuilding project. Right? And they they, they decide to write a letter. Cause by now, Cyrus isn't the emperor anymore, it's some other guy. Right. And they're they write this letter that's like slanderous. Mm-hmm. Also partly true. Yep. They're like, this is a super rebellious people. You know that they're going to be a thorn in your side. Like they're going to cause problems. As soon as they get, you know, their project done, they're going to rise up against you. Mm-hmm. And like historically, that's kind of what they did. So, right. I mean, it's not necessarily inaccurate, but their motives is they want to shut down this construction project. Yeah, I would say the Old Testament as their own record of history is quite slanderous. <laughs> and would make the same accusations. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So so construction is stopped. Mm-hmm. Nothing's going on. Everybody's kind of sitting on their hands, doing their own thing, but they're not concerned with rebuilding the temple. Right. And that's when our good friends Haggai and Zechariah show up. Yeah, like 15 years? Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, yeah. whereas some of these guys, it's a little bit questionable when they were riding, like within a couple of years. We, mm-hmm. It's not that way with Haggai. Mm. That guy's like October the 13th yep. this year. Yeah, they're literally, right. his whole thing is within a, a couple of months, Right, really. Yeah, so so under the direction of these two guys, they restart the whole project. Those same people who wrote a letter 15 years in the past write another letter. Right. There's another new king. Keep your receipts, folks. Yeah. So this king, Darius, he does his homework. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I'm going to look into this. And when he looks into it, he realizes, oh, yeah, there, Cyrus's decree was to rebuild this thing. And then he tells these governors who are getting all in a twist about it that they're going to essentially foot the bill. For the Why project. don't you lend a hand? Yeah. And, and by the way, if anyone tries to alter this decree that I'm making, I'm going to take a post out of their house and impale them on it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that job's getting done. Right. <laughs> And so, and so eventually the construction's completed, the temple is dedicated, and there's this massive sacrifice, and they celebrate the Passover, and it's mm-hmm. it's great. And that's as far as we get in Ezra. Right. So, good place to kind of end off. So, and then we pick up on the prophets that yeah. run us through it. Yeah. Haggai and Zechariah. Haggai. So, what do we want to say about Haggai? Haggai's job is to say, get back to work. Pretty much, yeah. You you have You have a job to do. You've been called by God to do this. God has used people, even your enemies, to equip you to this job. Mm-hmm. All you got to do is the, do the job. 
Yeah. He calls them up for the wrong priorities. Yeah. He's like, look, you guys have rebuilt your houses. Right. You guys seem to be doing, you know, right? Like your own your own property looks pretty well maintained. You got some right. nice landscaping there, put on a new roof. Uh, the temple's in ruins. Mm-hmm. So where are your priorities at? Right. Right. He calls them out. Right. Every pastor in a building project <laughs> is going to share this episode. <laughs> Feel free to use it. <laughs> you are, you're uh, remodeling your own home, huh? Hmm, I see that. Hmm. <laughs> Actually, I'm in the middle of remodeling my own home. Oh, there you go. So uh, maybe I should remodel the library in the church first. <laughs> <laughs> so as not to fall into hypocrisy. What, this like burnt mustard brick isn't isn't doing it for you, Tim? I like it. It's nostalgic. <laughs> it's nostalgic. <laughs> oh, So yeah, so Haggai calls them out, right? He talks about this whole idea that you already mentioned, right? These people, he says, uh, who is left among you who saw this house? speaking of the temple, in its former glory. Mm-hmm. How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing to your eyes? Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, yeah, yeah, kind of is. We should do something. Yeah, yeah. And I think like the people are discouraged because this new temple's inferiority is blatantly obvious. Right. But at the same time, he's like, he's reminding them of God's promise to do mm-hmm. something new. He's like, look, just because this right now doesn't look as good as it used to, don't forget that God has promised to do something amazing down the road. Right. So do the best you can with what you've got right now and stop sitting on your hands and you don't need to, you know, do some more remodeling in your own house. Let's build this temple now. Preach. Yeah. So that's, that's Haggai. Oh, and the parable thing is pretty cool. Yeah. The whole, like the touching of the dead bodies and the, the food. Mm-hmm. Right. What, what necessarily makes something unclean. Yeah. And, uh, and questioning whether or not like what you're doing. The way you're going about things. Mm-hmm. You clean or unclean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the way the parable forces them to answer the question for themselves. Mm-hmm. Right? I feel like that's sort of Haggai's motive. Mm. Right? I'm just going to present some questions for you. And in the end, the people that hear the question go, yeah, all right. Yeah, I get it. I get it. You yeah. don't have to say it. Yeah. I get it. Right. Yeah, because essentially, like, I mean, what he's trying to say is, like, look, if you're still going to be impure mm-hmm. in your actions and thoughts and then you're going to try to undertake the building of god's temple is it going to be a clean place or not yeah is it going to be a holy temple if you're not holy mm-hmm. if you're not being set apart is this truly going to be a set apart place and i think there's a there's a lesson for us too in our own motives mm-hmm. right as christians now and, and maybe even specifically as pastors right it's like what are our motivations for wanting to do the things that we're doing right right new ministries new buildings new whatever it might be Right. Our intentions need to be pure if we're going to expect any kind of blessing from God on that. Right. Right. Otherwise, we're just doing our own. We're off doing our own thing. Right. Our, our intentions can't be fame, glory, popularity, Mm-mm-mm. those kinds of things. No. Um, Not even growth for just growth's sake. Right. 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 All those things that would feed the ego. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's something like like just a, a personal way that we've dealt with those kinds of things before. Right. Um, starting a podcast was not about trying to find some opportunity to gain recognition beyond the limits of Stratford mm-hmm. or the walls of Memorial Baptist Church, mm-hmm. which is good because if that was our ambition, <laughs> we, we would failed miserably. <laughs> we, would, we would have to revisit our goals. Uh, <laughs> the goal of it was to say, 
churches don't give us space to do Wednesday night Bible study anymore. Mm-hmm. And whole church Bible study is really a, a dinosaur gone. Unfortunately, yeah. Unfortunately. Do we try to resurrect it? as some of my predecessors here have tried and not done well with, mm-hmm. or do we try to find a lesser way that fits into the technologies uh, and the lifestyles that people have going right now? Mm-hmm. And so that's why we do the podcast. Yeah, we Everyone listening, we tricked you into Wednesday Night Bible Study. <laughs> Welcome. You just might do it on Friday morning or right. Saturday afternoon. <laughs> right. And so the, the motivation behind it then was just to bring the word of God. It wasn't in any way to be like, hey, what's a side gig we can take on mm. and maybe get recognized? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So then with that kind of concluded, right, with the Haggai, it's a very short book. I mean, it's two chapters. Like it's yeah. like one of the shortest books of prophecy. Then we get to Zechariah. And I will say this about Zechariah. It is without a doubt the weirdest book of I think the whole entire Bible in my in my opinion. Like as far as like re- like reading through it, I had to read through it twice. I did too because I read through the first time and I'm like, and without like doing notes or looking into like you know any commentaries, just just plain reading of the text, and I'm like, I don't know what is going on here. Right. There's like a few little snippets, and I'm like, oh, that's a thing about Jesus. Oh, that's a thing about right. But there's a few little things that j- that jumped off the page for me. Mm-hmm. But man, it was weird. Yeah, so for seven chapters in Zechariah, it's kind of like Ezekiel 1. Kind of, yeah. He's having these, like, but dreams for, and... Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm one of these people that almost never remembers my dreams. But my wife is someone who always remembers her dreams, oftentimes in quite vivid detail. And so I feel like there's a similarity... <laughs> In Zechariah's dreams, just like some like just crazy things that like you'd probably be like almost embarrassed to describe what it is that you saw because it's just like there's a woman in a basket being carried by other women with wings. Like it's what? Right. What is this? Which reminds me, Mm. I had a crazy dream last night. Okay. That involved my ineptitude as a father. Okay. And you were present. Oh, no. We'll talk about it later. Okay. Don't let me forget. Okay. I don't know back if I have to the, the gift back to of this, interpretation. Back to, oh, no, we're going to test it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> back to the subject at hand. Okay. Uh, so the uh, story of Redemption Bible from Crossway mm-hmm. uh, has this note leading into, uh, into Zechariah. It says, Zechariah is the most major of the minor prophets, both the longest and the most complex mm. of the minor prophets. Mm. Amen and amen. Yeah. Uh, This book is filled with images that boggle the mind in their detail and their intricacy. Yes. In the end, though, Zechariah's message comes through clearly. I'm with him up to the clearly part. (laughs) I would say his his message comes through. It's not that it can't be understood. Mm -hmm. God still has plans for his people. Centered on a king who will be and do what Israel has never been able to do on its own. Hmm. I think that's a good thing to keep in mind before you read it. Mm -hmm. If you just go straight into the text, you might find yourself going, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. We'll move on. 
mm-hmm. uh, because we can see the light at the end of the tunnel that is Matthew. Right. <laughs> and and we'll just press on. <laughs> uh, and so so there is that temptation. But I think coming into it and saying, okay, all of this, all of this centers around the idea that this return and whatever king is going to be established is not yet that thing that has been prophesied. Mm-hmm. I think that is enough of a push to help us take in these prophecies and say, okay, I see it. Yeah. Yeah, there's like an already not yet aspect to it. There's a kind of seeing in shadows what will be made clear, Mm -hmm. right? So we see a lot of that, even in some of the characters, right? I mean, well, let's let's work through it a bit, right? But but you know, right out of the gate, there is this promise of restoration that Zechariah is reminding the Jews of, right? Mm -hmm. But he kind of puts the ball in their court a little bit. Right. He, like he really he really challenges them on their own obedience and faithfulness. Right. Right. It isn't just like, hey, God's going to do this great thing. But it's like, are you are you guys even ready? Are you going to be a part of this great thing that God's going to do? Yeah. Like or is it going to be for a next generation? Yeah. Yeah. Almost uh, like the generation in the wilderness. Oh, right? you beat me to it. In Exodus. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, they just weren't ready for it. Mm-hmm. They were too stubborn. They were too obstinate. They were too quick to abandon mm-hmm. their faith. And so they had to, like, they didn't get to enjoy all of the blessings that came. Right. And, and so this brings into some tension the idea of man's contribution to a plan of God that has already been established. Yeah. Uh, what does that look like? I, I think it shows us to some degree it's not meticulously determined. Okay. Right? So meticulous determinism is is to say that everything, everything, right, is determined by God before the foundations of the world, and it cannot be altered, mm. will not be altered. That I'm holding this pen in my hand while I'm talking to you matters because it was determined by God mm. before the foundations of the world. Mm. It doesn't seem that it's that meticulous, because there is still the call on people, mm-hmm. which it, some would argue, well, it's it's a call, but it's an empty call. That doesn't make any sense to me. Mm. Like, why would God call us to be responsible for something mm-hmm. that we're not able to respond to? Yeah, doesn't make any sense. Uh, in, in that case, what we would be arguing is that the Holy Word of God presented through his prophet mm-hmm. is in vain. Yeah. And I don't think i'm willing to go there sure yeah Um, well god so god uses the faithfulness of his people right to bring about his plan right that's why you know some of the some of the greatest missionaries our world has ever seen they could be calvinistic in their theology but that didn't prevent them from going out on mission Mm -hmm. right like like they understood that god brings about his sovereign plan through the faithfulness of his people whereas the hyper calvinist told william carey yeah don't go yeah. So you who can, do you think you are? You, literally. Li- so, <laughs> so if you've not had church missionary history class, it goes like this: He walks in and he says, "I want to go to India as a missionary," mm-hmm. and he's approaching a hyper Calvinistic group in England, mm-hmm. who call him out for heresy. Who do you think you are? God will save whom He will save, and He doesn't need your help. <laughs> you have a low view of God. <laughs> yeah. For believing that you should be a missionary. Yeah. 
that's nonsense. Yeah, yeah. That does not work with the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, totally. Uh, but so in the same sense where William Carey, you know, didn't, thankfully didn't listen to those people. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but in this case, right, the, the direction for, for the people of Israel is like, look, God has a plan that involves blessing. Mm-hmm. But it's a conditional blessing in the sense of like some of, some of this stuff comes out of like the whole covenant faithfulness thing. Mm-hmm. This is going back to like Deuteronomy. Right. Right. If you do these things, good things will happen. If you do not, right? That Leviticus that w- 26. I said when we did Leviticus 26, remember this, we'll revisit over and over again. Yeah. If then, if not, yeah. then. Yeah. So I think what he's saying is like, look, you guys are hopeful and waiting for this amazing thing to happen. But remember, there's <laughs> there are conditions to, to this situation. Right. So which anyway, so that's that's kind of stressed. And I, and I also want to talk about the mm. flip of the whole hyper-Calvinism meticulous determination mm-hmm. is open theism mm. to say that God doesn't even know what's going to happen mm-hmm. and everything is just sort of up to the variables that we as humans throw into the process. Yeah, that's nonsense as well. That is that is even more so nonsense. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, no agree. I just feel like we have to yeah. say that. Get some balance. Right. Yeah, hyper-Calvinism, bad. Open theism, really bad. Right. So, um... We have, there's, I mean, we can't go through all of the images. There's just too much. I want to skip down to chapter three, if that's okay. Always. Um, there's like a court scene. Mm-hmm. So Joshua, who is the high priest, is being accused by Satan. But the angel of the Lord shows up and rebukes Satan. And then he takes off the nasty, dirty clothes that Joshua is clothed in and gives him clean clothes. And then kind of reiterates this promise of restoration and talks about the branch. Mm-hmm. I will bring my servant the branch. So this is really interesting too, right? Like there's like this character Joshua is very significant in a lot of Zechariah's dreams. Right. And he's kind of in one of the dreams he's given like this crown. Mm-hmm. Right to kind of represent like that he's the priest and he's also, there's a kingly aspect and those two are coming together. Jesus's name is. in Hebrew is Joshua. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of really cool stuff in here that I, and, and the branch, the branch is Jesus from the stump. Yeah. Of Jesse. Yeah. Isaiah 11. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think about the flying scroll? <laughs> <laughs> What is your take on the the flying scroll? The flying scroll. Uh, well, uh, so so in it, he measures it, yep. twenty cubits. So it's a significant scroll. Yeah, it's a long scroll. And uh, and it says it goes out over the face of the whole land, the curse that will go out mm. over the face of the whole land, right? So. It's a scroll of some bad news. For everyone who steals shall be cleaned out according to what is on one side. And everyone who swears falsely shall be cleaned out according to what is on the other side. Hmm. I think that the purpose of this vision is to say that there's a flying scroll printed on both sides. And... Whether, regardless of 
which side you send on, you're going to be held to justice. I'm going for the hyper literal. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a superhero. I could just see like a like a like an yeah. Anyways, like a superhero comic strip of the scroll that just like flies around the city and just. Are like, you are you too young to know Schoolhouse Rock? No, I know Schoolhouse and Rock and the Bill that is the yeah. Scroll. <laughs> but this one flies. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, there there are a number of these visions. Yeah. Right, like guys stepping in and out of myrtles, and. Horsemen mm-hmm. and all kinds of interesting things. Mm-hmm. Very interesting things. Yeah, and then kind of in the midst of this, there is still instruction, I think, that God is giving to his people outside of kind of these fantastical visions that we try to interpret and understand. Right. Uh, one of the big ones is just as the people have now returned, like God wants them to conduct themselves differently. Like he he wants them to be ethically better than their predecessors. Right. Be the people that your fathers were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Be those people who read the law and actually live it. Yeah. This is a second chance for Israel. Mm-hmm. Fresh start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, seriously though, right? Like, and and very concerned again with like the practical applications of the law, right? How are you treating widows? How are you treating fatherless? How are you treating the oppressed? Right. How are you treating foreigners? Right, like this is this is ma- this matters. Right, and, and so far, especially some of the stuff that we read uh, in Ezra, and the whole purpose for Haggai doesn't bode well for this fresh start mm. and this call to be better than you were before, uh, because, like you said, here, they've been paid and resourced to rebuild the temple and they built their own homes. Yeah. I'm not going to say with that money, but, but I'll throw it out there. But maybe <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put it past them. Uh, yeah, no, totally. And I mean, and here's the thing, like all throughout Zechariah is trying to call people to look to, and in a sense through their obedience, bring about this better time for mm-hmm. for Jerusalem, right? Which in eight he tells us is coming. Yeah. And he talks about how like old men and women will sit in the streets, right? With a staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. I love that multi-generational vision. Yeah. Right? A society as society should be. Mm-hmm. People live well into their old age, mm-hmm. new children being born. That is the health of the full circle of a society, multi-generational. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a great image. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great image of a church, too. Yeah, absolutely. Like ours. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then, uh, ch- okay, chapter 9, we get what I, I think is a pretty like direct prophecy of Christ. Um, nine, nine rejoice greatly. O daughter of Zion shout aloud. O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your King is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Mm-hmm. It's like Hosanna. Yeah. Yeah. The palm fronds and all that fun stuff. Yeah. That's like, that's, I just, I love finding these little things here and I'm like, Oh yeah, I know what that is. Right. Right. You just like all these little pictures of Christ and it's like, that's why, like, Jesus just with confidence could just be like, 
guys, go find it. It's there. Yeah. Because it was written that you would find it there and then I would write it. Right. That's how it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you could see where the Israelites would be very excited for him to come into Jerusalem mm-hmm. in such a way. Yep. Uh, because this isn't just something that we're figuring out. This is something that they had known and expected for generations. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but then he's like, well, maybe not that kind of king. And they're like, oh, yeah. In that case, never mind. Their enthusiasm didn't last all that long. Not even a week. Yeah. Um, we get another kind of attack against the bad shepherds and leaders in Zechariah 10. Mm-hmm. Right? Which leads to the doom and the slaughter of the flock. Yeah. Yeah, that these, 11. That these leaders have drawn the flock. These bad shepherds have drawn the flock away from the good shepherd. Right? From from the one who's sent to to care for them. And so because of that they're they're going to be slaughtered. And this is my guess is this is uh this is 8070. This is this is a, a great number of Israel rejecting the Messiah who's come. And out of that there is destruction that ends up occurring not long after. Um that's my 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 eschatological take on that, but uh yeah. Yeah, and the salvation that comes in 12, mm. uh, 12, 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, me on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him. As one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over the firstborn. Yeah. This is the origin. Most people don't know that, but this is the origin of middle child syndrome. <laughs> Are you a middle child? No, I'm, I'm the firstborn. Okay, me too. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, but, but at the same time, that, that play back and forth, Mm. They will, the, the sort of me and him, right? Divinity of the one pierced. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, we've got two chapters left. Chapter 13. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. And the whole land declares the Lord. Two thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refines silver and test them as gold is tested. And they will call upon my name, and I will answer them. I will say, They are my people, and they will say, The Lord is my God. There's tough times ahead. There is. Right? But there is also the day of the Lord, mm-hmm. which is ahead. Yeah. Yeah, which is like this this amazing picture of what 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 is finally going to happen once all of this has happened, once taken place. Right. Right. And and I think with like just the amount of things that Zechariah sees and and you kind of just reading it 
you realize, okay, this isn't necessarily all going to be imminently fulfilled. Mm-hmm. There's just so much stuff here right. that's going to go on. Right? Yeah, and I, I think that's, as the further prophets we have read and, and reading Haggai and Zechariah, there is nothing in this second temple that comes even close to the promise of what's to come. And no leader that has any, I mean, all all of their leaders technically bear the shadow of Christ, the anointed one who would come and be their priest, prophet, and king. Mm-hmm. But it's a pale shadow. Yeah. I, I feel like all of this is pointing forward. Mm-hmm. Um, some immediacy in it, but mostly in a day to come. Um, and, and I think that reigns pretty clear. And that's the benefit to putting, juxtaposing these prophets with the history. Yeah. Right. Which I'm just going to step up now and say my highlight is that moment when we actually see that played out. Mm. And we see tears from those who remember what the temple is supposed to look like when they were God's people. And these prophets talk a lot about revoking the covenant. Yeah. In those words, covenant revoked. Mm -hmm. And these people look at this temple that they've built and they look at it and they say, no, 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 no. This is something's not right here. Mm -hmm. Something's not right. And it crushes them. While those who are who are in their youth, who don't have the experience of history, look at it and they're like, ah, pretty good. eh?" (laughs) That's my Canadian. eh? Yeah, pretty good. good, eh? It's good. All right. The reason that's a highlight for me is because I, I, I think it calls me to build that hermeneutical bridge. This was them. What about us? Right. Generational arrogance is a really big problem mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. where we have, and I'm not, I'm not old enough to not be a part of the problem, um, but where we're happy to say to pretend like we're the first people to live. Right. <laughs> right. Or the first people to figure it out. Like every generation before us was nearly Neanderthal. And and I don't think that this is offending generations before us because I think generations before us are like, yeah, you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, even, even like parenting. Yeah. This our generation talks about parenting and all the things that you're supposed to do to raise kids. And they talk to their grandparents and their parents like, oh, my goodness, how did anyone ever survive? You don't know anything about raising children. Right. <laughs> and parents, moms and grandmas are going, what are you talking about? Yeah. You're here, aren't you? <laughs> right. But we're like, oh, no, we just discovered this thing. Right. And every week we discover a new diet that, oh, my goodness, did you can you believe people ever lived without eating these exact foods in this order? And we, we just have this generational arrogance that says, Everything is a problem, and praise God, we're here to fix it. Right. And I think that that's kind of what was going on here, right? They build the temple, and they're like, hey, looks good. Instead of falling back on the history of all those people who were studied and working hard before them, they're like, no, no, it, it doesn't. And I think there's something in the modern church for that, for us as pastors to maybe write fewer books, until we've read some of them. Yeah. Maybe we shouldn't spend so much time podcasting and maybe spend more time learning. Right. Right. And not assuming that that orthodoxy is something that is going to be a product of 
2020 and beyond. Mm. Right. But that there's deep, rich history that God has used to establish himself to be known by the truth in his people and the work that they've done. Mm -hmm. Uh, And maybe trust ourselves a little less and those before us more. Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. That's great. Boom. Boom. If my mic wasn't mounted to a mic stand, I'd drop it. (laughs) But I'm not holding it, so I can't. (laughs) Alex might not like that if you drop the mic. (laughs) (laughs) We're 40 minutes in. Go your highlight. My highlight. My highlight's a lot less theological than Tim's. Um, going back to that old that old pattern, I just love that the the kind of pagan leaders in Jerusalem write this letter to Darius, trying to get the Jews in trouble for resuming their construction, and then he just does his homework and just actually doubles down, and it just makes everything better for them. I just love that. Yeah, we're I just a little bit of that in Esther too. Ooh, yes, we are. That's true. Kind of a similar concept. Mm-hmm. Tune in next week, kids. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, in and through... Oh, that's the intro, not the outro. Let's try that again. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada, and is produced by Alex Walker. Next time. Bye-bye.